Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. As I've been praying over the past few months, uh, I, I would say the word that I keep hearing from the Lord is simply one word, mature, 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 mature. And, and where my mind goes is kind of like this, is, you know, for us to have kids in the room, when, when uh, my older kids were younger, they did what most younger kids do, it, you know, mine, stop, no, give it back, right? In other words, there's this hoarding greedy, everything is selfish and everything is about them, right? But one of the beautiful parts about being a parent is watching your kids grow and mature and seeing them not always be about themselves, but also start to be about other people. Today, what you're going to hear is not a message that's for you per se, it's about other people. So we as a body have to mature and stop, you know, every time we come through the doors, it's got to be about me, Okay, we got to start thinking about other people because God wants to do something that, yes, includes us. Yes, he cares about us, but it's not just all about us. If you're with me, say amen. amen. All right, so Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for every person's in this room. Lord, I do not believe that they're here by accident. God, so I'm asking today that you would speak directly and clearly to them today. Father, you have the ability to walk in our hearts, God, and to, and to uh, bring revelation and, and cause us to be going in one direction and turn to go in another one. So, Lord, I'm simply asking that your anointing and your presence would come and you speak loud and clear in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so listen, this morning we're going to wrap up our uh, current series that we've been in the past few weeks. That series has been entitled Pray First. And so if you've been here, you know for the past four weeks we have talked about basically the priority of prayer. We've talked about the place of prayer. We've talked about the plan of prayer. Last week we talked about the power of prayer. And today we want to talk about something once again, mature message. We're going to talk about uh, the person of prayer. Somebody say person. All right, so to get the ball rolling, what I want to do is I want to, I want to highlight, kind of use as a launching pad, uh, a sobering passage of Scripture that's found in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 59, when you start reading it, you find that Isaiah describes a nation, the nation of Israel, and he says this, that they have allowed their sin to separate them from God. And as you continue to read through that chapter, you find that he says that those people, they consistently murder, they consistently lie, they consistently participate in all sorts sorts of perversity. And then he repeatedly talks about how uh, nobody's looking for justice. Nobody's looking for truth. Instead, they chase after destruction. They put their trust in lies. Uh, they act violently and they shed innocent blood. In short, what he's saying is, is these people, they love evil. And he says this amazing statement about halfway through the chapter. He says this, that if someone would even begin to look for a hint of light, that all they would find is darkness in that nation. And so when you read it, you think, man, like all hope is lost. Man, this is super depressing. And then almost to the end, it's like in the middle of all of that, when you think, man, the nail's in the coffin and it's done, he prophetically speaks this single statement of hope. And I want to read it to you today because I believe it's pertinent for our hour that we're living in. Amen? Isaiah 59, verse 19 says this. It says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, 
the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. And you, you see basically at the end of that chapter, he says that that standard prepares the way for his redemption and his transformation to come on those people and over the entire nation. So listen, now while there's no doubt that God used the prophet Isaiah to speak directly to the spiritual condition of the day he was living in, in my opinion, when we read through that portion of scripture, uh, his day doesn't look that different than our day. Okay, so I think all it takes, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, like we, we can't stick our head in the sand, but all it takes is just look at people's lives, look at broken families, look at the public school system, like look at our government, look at how people treat each other, look how much conflict and division there is. And I think we can all agree when you look at all that, like wow, yes, the enemy is coming like a flood once again. Amen? So listen, but I want you to know that in spite of what you and I see happening around us, I still wholeheartedly believe that in the same way God rose up a standard over 2,500 years ago in the day of Isaiah, that I believe he's raising a standard up in our day, if we'll listen. Listen, and I want you to know that that standard isn't coming from the White House. It's not coming from the state house. It's not coming from Hollywood. It's not coming from mainstream media. It's not coming from pop culture. On the contrary, I believe this God-appointed, God-ordained standard looks a whole lot like you and a whole lot like me. Right? I think it looks a whole lot like people who, who are want to grab a hold of what we're talking about today, that they want to become a person of prayer. I think that's the standard that God's wanting to raise today. See, what I know is I've studied history and church history that you see again and again and again that every time God's people faced an onslaught of the enemy where just evil seemed to just like overwhelm people. Like literally every single time God's people stood up on their knees and began to push back the enemy, they defeated darkness through the spirit of prayer. So listen, some of those names we've, we've talked about over the past few weeks, like we've mentioned our Reese Howells, we've mentioned our Praying Hides, you know, our Father Nashes, our Corey Tim Bones, and so on. But, but what I want you to hear today is that most people that have pushed back darkness over the centuries, man, that God has really used to defeat darkness, they'll never be known on this side of heaven. Like nobody wrote a book about them. There's no podcast about them. There's no movie about them. They're just ordinary men and women, just like you and just like me, right? Who simply said, you know what we're looking at? Enough's enough. It's time to pray, right? And God heard those righteous people's prayers we've been talking about for weeks, and he moved, right? And as he moved, it changed history. Like once again, listen, I want to broaden our gaze beyond Rockport, Maine. Man, God's people, when they rose up in China, that's how you got the underground church, right? That's how God began to move behind the Iron Curtain in Russia. That's how God began to move in Argentina for the past 30 years, right? That's how God moved in Africa. That's how God's moving right now in the Middle East where Muslims are having crazy encounters with Jesus and coming to salvation. Like us that are connected to Mountain Gateway, that's what we're getting to currently watch right now in the nation of Nicaragua where thousands of people are getting saved and healed because why why is like all that happening throughout history until today it's because people said I'll pray right that's why so with all that in mind I got one goal in today's message that I'm wanting you to grab a hold of and it's simply this I want to remind you of who you are I want to remind you of who you are today, and in that, I want you to see, because of who you are, what God's called you to do. And so, please know today that if you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've given Him your life, today is about you. Amen? Listen to what God says about you. Let me give you five verses really quick. 
And I'm just saying that they're all going to repeat the same thing, same thing, same thing, because I hope this is that sometimes I'm saying some, some people hear one scripture and they go, ah, whatever. But when you hear five, you need to pay attention. Okay, it's like if God's repeatedly telling us there's something we need to grab a hold of. So listen to what God says about you. It says, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. 1 Peter 2 says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Revelation 1, all glory to him who loves us, has freed us from our sin by shedding his blood for us. He has made us, not he's making, but he has made us a kingdom of priests. Look at Revelation 5. It says, and they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered. Talking about Jesus. And your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them, those people that have accepted that sacrifice, to become a kingdom of priests for our God. What am I getting at is that all five of those verses speak directly to our identity in Christ. So listen to me, just as much as you and I, if we're blood-bought saints, that we are sons and daughters of the living God, according to the Word of God, we are priests. Now, I'm going to step out on a limb here, okay? That, that when we hear the word priest, like most of us, when we think about that word, we don't think about ourselves. Like, depending on your church background, I would say a lot of us think about, you know, maybe the, down at the Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, the Lutheran Church, the Greek Orthodox Church. That's the guy who walks up and, and kind of presides over the service. He officiates. Like, most of the time, that's what we think about when we hear the word priest. But I want you to know today, biblically speaking, that's a very narrow and incorrect view. Amen? All right, so listen, without, without me getting too bogged down in all this, because we do not have time or we'd be here all afternoon... Just, just trust me and you go read it, okay? The, the Bible is really clear that just as Aaron's sons in the book of Genesis had a birthright into the priesthood, so do we. Okay? Not because we're in the bloodline of Aaron, okay? Like, I get that. We're not in the bloodline of Aaron, but, but we have access to a greater blood than what Aaron had. It's the blood of Jesus, amen? So, so that blood that washed us clean, that blood that brought us into the kingdom, it's the blood of the very one who is not a priest, but the high priest, right? And the Bible says that when we were born again, that we became one with him. We are in the body of Christ. We are one with him, right? And so because we're one with him and he is a priest, then that means the priesthood is not only a part of our inheritance in him, but it's also our identity in him. Amen? All right, so listen, if that's true, that you and I are called to be priests, right? And I'm not talking about the woman with the collar, right? I'm talking about the spiritual priest. If that's who we're called to be, then I think it would behoove us to ask ourselves, what is the role of a priest? In other words, it's no different if, I said, if somebody said, you're a mom. Well, what's the role of a mom? If you're a dad, what's the role of a dad? If you're a son of God, what's the role of son of a God? Like going down the line, what's the role and the responsibilities of a priest? I believe they're twofold. The first one is this, is we are called to minister unto the Lord. We're called to minister unto the Lord. Now understand, as you minister unto the Lord, it requires you to have a holy lifestyle. It requires you to be pure and be right with God. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but it does mean that you want to please Him. Okay? So as we minister to the Lord, listen to this verse in Deuteronomy 10.8. 
It says, at the same time, the Lord separated, set apart, sanctified the tribe of Levi to bear or to carry the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It says, why? To stand before the Lord to minister to him. See, so often we think about God always ministering to us. But to understand as priests, we have a responsibility to actually minister to the Lord. Amen? So listen, in the same way that the Levites, once again, were set apart, were sanctified to be God's holy people. That's who ran the temple, right? Uh, listen, you and I are, are, are not called to necessarily carry some physical ark around, but you and I are called to carry the presence of God. Like there's a marked difference about our lives. It's not because we're smarter, better looking, whatever. It's because Jesus saved us and the presence of God is in us. Amen? And so listen, because we're those people, we have a responsibility to minister to Him, not only personally, but also corporately. And we do that by doing what the Bible says, that we come and we offer up a sacrifice of praise. What is that? It's our worship. Right? So lean in here, church. To understand this morning, we sang a handful of songs. And that wasn't some formality that we go through before the sermon comes. That's not something to prep everybody up so they can hear something. No, 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 no. We do that because we're priests, right? We do that because that fulfills our role as a kingdom of priests that we come and we simply want to worship him. And by worshiping him, we minister to him by loving him, giving him our adoration, giving him our gratitude. Are y'all hearing me today? See, that's why the Bible, if you read verses Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, it says that the priest would go in and he would, and he would basically burn incense. And that incense would rise before the Lord and it would be received as worship. It's the same thing now the New Testament. Paul said that when we go in, right, because the veil's been torn, we enter in because of Jesus Christ, right? We don't have to, a priest says, go, we all go in because we're all priests now. We all go in and as we worship, our praise, our worship rises, if you will, like incense to the Lord and it becomes a sweet aroma. It's what the Bible says. Our worship is a sweet aroma to the Lord. It's because why? Because it's our role as priests. Am I making sense? The second role that we fulfill as priests, and this is what I want you to grab a hold of today, this is where we go beyond just uh, me, mine, what I can get, Christianity. Okay? Here's the second role. It's this, is that we understand as priests, we stand between God and people. Once again, if you read the Old Testament, you would find that a priest would go into the Holy of Holies as a representative for all the people, and he would make sacrifices unto God so that all the people could be forgiven. And I'm not here to say that we, we come so people be forgiven. That's not what I mean. But what I'm saying is, is we have a right through our prayer life to come and to stand between God and people and to pray. Yeah. Right? So let me, let me give you a verse here. Paul said this to Timothy. Chapter 2, verse 1. He said, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. What's his next word? Intercede on their behalf. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. You see, when Paul told Timothy to intercede, somebody say intercede. He said to intercede, he was referring to, once again, our responsibility and our role that we all have, if we say we're Christians, that we all have as priests. And the reason I say that is because the word intercession there is actually, based in the original language, simply means this. It means to go between. So he's saying this, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them go between me and them. Go pray on their behalf and give thanks for them. Now, that's a whole lot different than me and you just praying for our needs, right? 
You, you see, so often we talk about prayer in the church and prayers, you know, obviously we're told to pray. We, we're told to pray for our needs. So there's nothing wrong with that. So don't hear that. Hear it in balance. But, but let, me, let me give you two definitions here and uh, just so we can kind of drill down in this a little bit better. The word prayer, according to Noah Webster, right? He simply said this, that prayer is the act of asking or requesting a favor with earnestness. In other words, the, 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 the idea there is it's about us praying for ourselves, Okay. Whereas the word intercession is defined as this, is pleading in favor on the behalf of another. Pleading in favor on the behalf of another. See, this is where you and I intentionally set aside our own personal needs, our own personal wants, so that we can come and carry the burden of somebody else. Right, it's where we intentionally place ourselves between God and another person or another group or situation, and we begin to plead and ask God, right? Ask God to intervene in that situation. That's what it means to intercede. All right, so what I want to do for the next few moments, I want to give you a biblical picture of what it looks like to intercede. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm, what I'm wanting you to hear today is I'm wanting you to hear Basically, what happens when you and I actually intercede, like, I want to give you a, a, an actual picture of what it looks like from God's perspective. And so, if you can, let's look at Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16, it says this, starting in verse 41. It says, But the very next morning, the whole community of Israel began muttering against Moses and Aaron, saying, You have killed the Lord's people. They were mad. Now, to give you context, here's what happened. Uh, the day before, there was this man named Korah. He was jealous of Moses. He wanted the leadership and the influence Moses had. And so he decided to gripe and complain, uh, pretty much wanting that spot. Well, well, God didn't look upon that with favor. And in fact, he said this. The idea was, well, okay, well, let's divide and let's see who God favors, me or you. It was like a Holy Ghost showdown, right? And, and what happened was, is the ground opened up and swallowed Korah, his family, and all of his buddies that were with him. 250 of them got swallowed up by the ground, and then the ground closed. And I can't figure out why. Like, y'all look at me, please. Like, if we saw that, 250 people get, right, like, swallowed. I don't think I'd be the guy coming the next day griping again. <laughs> so these people were clearly a few fries short of a Happy Meal. But anyways, here we go. So it says, you have killed the Lord's people, verse 42. It says, as the community gathered to protest against Moses and Aaron, they turned toward the tabernacle and saw that the cloud had covered it and that the glorious presence of the Lord appeared. In other words, they started complaining, and God showed up. It says, verse 43, Moses and Aaron came and stood in the front of the tabernacle. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, get away from all these people so that I can instantly destroy them. Let that sink in. But Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground. And Moses said to Aaron, quick, take an incense burner and place burning coals on it from the altar. In other words, Aaron, you're the priest. Go do what a priest does. Go intercede. It says, lay incense on it and carry it out among the people to purify them and make them right with the Lord. The Lord's anger is blazing against them. The plague has already begun. This says in verse 47, Aaron did as Moses told him and ran out among the people. The plague had already begun to strike down the people, but Aaron burned the incense and purified the people. And then verse 48, the whole reason I'm reading it, says he stood between, he stood between 
the dead and the living, and the plague stopped. So if you can understand and kind of get a mental picture of this, that here's Moses and Aaron standing in front of a multitude of people. God says, enough's enough. And in the very back, basically a plague breaks out, and people start dropping dead like dominoes. Do, do, do. And here's Aaron. God says, do this. He took his priestly right, and he burned incense, right, to make atonement, in other words, so they could be forgiven. And he runs through the crowd, and as these people are dying, there's this amazing collision of this priest and then death. And when they bump into each other, when they collide, death stops, and literally everyone in front of him is dead. Everyone behind him is alive. So notice the last words there. It says, and the plague stopped. See, that's the power of an intercessor. When there's an onslaught, once again, a flood of the enemy, when we go stand in the gap, it literally stops what the enemy's up to. Right? Like, do you understand that you have the ability in Jesus to stand between the living and the dead? Like, you have the ability to stand between darkness and light, right? The evil in God's plan, like, right? Like, like truly, uh, an attack of the enemy and a victory. Like, that's the authority that God has given you. Amen? See, see, I just think when we read that verse, like beyond a shadow of a doubt, that when you and I step into our place as priests, when we step into our God-given identity, and we begin to be that person of prayer that God's called us to be, that, that, it, that literally it makes a difference. See, so often I think God's people pray, and, uh, and we don't think we make a difference. But you're not seeing it from the right view. God sees it completely different than the way we see it. Right? Like, like who are we to say what's happening in somebody's heart? Okay? A couple of days ago, as I was studying praying, I was reminded of a story that I read years ago. And, and to me, like I gave you a biblical example. And I want to give you uh, kind of like our day example of what happens when people just like you and me pray. Okay? So the, the story I'm about to share with you, it's about a school teacher who wanted her, basically she was handed a classroom of broken kids. And she, she wanted her classroom to become a place of refuge where God would minister to them. And so here's how the story goes. It says, last school year, the elementary school teacher's classroom was made up of third graders. It says, every one of whom came from a difficult situation. Some were from single-parent families. Some were from dysfunctional families. Some were undernourished or uncared for. Some lived in abusive homes. And others had been beaten, bruised, or raped by family members. One little girl's dad had died of AIDS, and the list goes on. And it says, basically, that the teacher's heart bled for, for these kids. And so what, what they decided to do before the school year began, her and her husband went to the classroom, and they went and they prayed over each single desk. In other words, to bring it to today, that they, they went and they stood in the gap in between God and everyone of those kids that had no idea who God was, right? And, and so they simply prayed, and they asked God to assign an angel to each child in the class throughout the school year to watch over them and protect them. So fast forward, about a month or so after the year started, uh, she gave her kids this assignment to write a small paper to say what they wanted to be when they grew up. And so as each child was busy working on their assignment, uh, this little kid named Andrew raised his hand. And uh, when she asked him what he needed, he said, how do you spell the word mighty? And so she told him, and then she said, why are you asking, Andrew? And he said, "Uh, because when I grow up, I want to be a mighty man of God. Okay? And so... When he said that, this little kid named Mark, third grade, little kid named Mark sitting right next to him said, so what's a mighty man of God? 
So the teacher knew, according to all the laws, right, that, that she couldn't say anything herself in the classroom. So she told Andrew to go ahead and tell Mark what a mighty man of God was. And so Andrew said, remember third grade, it's a man who puts on the armor of God and is a soldier for God. All right. So after observing the conversation uh, between Andrew and Mark, this teacher, she said she had a lump in her throat, right? Like she was about to start crying. And, and she started to go walk away when, when Andrew motioned with, to her with his little forefinger, right? And asked her to come closer. And so when she got closer, he whispered to her. She said, and he asked, do you believe in angels? And she told him yes. And then uh, basically he, he asked her if she thought that people could see angels. And she thought that some probably could. And so Andrew said that he did, and that he could see an angel sitting behind every kid in the classroom. True story. Okay? That's incredible, right? Yeah. So listen, why am I telling you that? It's because, listen, because God answered the prayers of just some ordinary woman, just like me and you, because she believed that if she stepped into her priestly place, right, and began to intercede on behalf of those kids, God would intervene. And I'm just here to tell you today, the reason I'm sharing this story with you is if God would do that for her, why won't he do it for us? Amen? All right. So here's what I want to do. I want to shift gears a little bit. So that's who we are. We're priests. And we've kind of been banking on it a little bit. But I want us to dive into what our God-given responsibility is as priests. And I'm going to read a portion of Scripture to you that some of you are familiar with. It's very similar to what we read in Isaiah. Because if you read anything about God's people, they had a great way to circle the mountain. In other words, they would get in trouble. God would rescue them. They would get in trouble. God would rescue them. They'd get in trouble. God, and here they are again. Okay, so let's read it again. But we're going to land once again on our responsibility. Here we go. Again, a message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, give the people of Israel this message. In the day of my ignination, you will be like a polluted land, a land without rain. Here's why. Your princes or your leaders plot conspiracies just as lions stalk their prey. They devour innocent people, seizing treasures and extorting wealth. It says, they make many widows in the land. Your priests have violated my instructions and defiled my holy things. They make no distinction between what is holy and what is not. And they do not teach my people the difference between what is ceremonially clean and unclean. They disregard my Sabbath day so that I am dishonored among them. Your leaders are like wolves who tear apart their victims. They actually destroy people's lives for money. And your prophets cover up for them by announcing false visions and making lying predictions. They say, my message is from the sovereign Lord when the Lord hasn't spoken a single word to them. It says, even common people oppress the poor, rob the needy, and deprive foreigners of justice. So what's God saying? He's saying, man, they're messed up. And now they messed up. The church is messed up, right? And so sin's running rampant. Uh, people are doing whatever they want because there's no accountability. There's no fear of repercussions. And now, now I want you to watch. In the midst of all that dysfunction, watch what God's solution is for the spiritual decay that was happening. Verse 30. He said, I looked. I saw all of that. And then I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness. Somebody say wall. He said, I look for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I search for someone to stand in the gap. Somebody say, stand in the gap. Stand in the gap. So what's God's solution for wickedness? Y'all listen to me. 
Just as much as it was in Isaiah's day, if you read it, it's there. I didn't read it earlier, but it's there. If you look in Ezekiel, it was there. Same thing in our day. God's answer for wickedness has always been and will always be not another flashy sermon, not a cool church building, not a new bill passed. It is simply this, right? Y'all listen, it's not a new president. It's not a new TV show. I love The Chosen. But listen, if the bottom line is, is what's the answer? The answer is intercessors to pray, Right? And if intercessors pray, all that other stuff can happen. But it's got to start there. Amen? we got to stand between the people and spiritual darkness. So, once again, all right. So, he said, rebuild the walls. Now, in Bible times, we know that walls uh, help defend and protect people from their enemies. Is that true? Yes. So, listen, oftentimes, if people uh, either neglected or if there was previous attacks have been again and again and again on walls, sections of the city's walls would be damaged, and they could be uh, literally damaged to the point where it literally created physical gaps in the city walls, which left them vulnerable for more attacks of the enemy. And so I just think this, when we, when we bring that idea of what God's talking about into today, that we realize that the same thing can be said about the spiritual walls that surround every city that's in our area. Right? This surrounds our region, correct? That literally, that if men and women of God neglect their duty and in intercession, that it leaves people around us that know God and don't know God exposed to spiritual attacks and strongholds of the enemy. That is truth. So in the same way, once again, go to another book, same way God asked Nehemiah to physically stand in the gap and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, right? What does it say? It says with a, a tool in one hand and with a weapon in the other. I believe here he is in Ezekiel sending out a call for well-informed and well-armored intercessors to prayerfully and to uh, powerfully stand in the gap to not only fight the enemy, but to also rebuild the walls of righteousness. Do, everybody look at me, please. Do you understand that when we pray, we, in essence, tear down the walls of wickedness and we rebuild walls of righteousness? Like, we change the tide. Amen? Amen. So, so what I'm trying to talk to you about today, once again, we're trying to talk about growing up, maturing a little bit. This idea of intercession goes far beyond, I'm just going to have a little talk with Jesus this morning. I got my Bible and my coffee. Like, that's good. Not knocking that. I like coffee. Right? But, but listen, it, this, is, this is so beyond than, oh, brother, I'm so, oh, I'm sorry you're going for that. I, I'll pray for you. Just a caring gesture, right? We'll pray for you. And then we go on and then we forget we even had the conversation. This is so beyond just coming and, and just sitting down with your cup of coffee and whatever, go, okay, I'll pray for my needs. It, it's so beyond all that. Are y'all seeing this? Like, like this is where we're talking about those two words that scare the mess out of half the church. Ready? Spiritual warfare. Y'all realize it's happening. If we're engaged or not, it is happening, right? And so, so what I'm trying to say is this, is it's time to roll up our sleeves. It's time to pull out our, our sword, right? And it's time for us to dig in our heels a little bit longer, a little bit deeper, and take a stand in the gap in the wall, and we need to fight for those who are either unable or unwilling to pray for themselves. We need to pray. Amen? Amen. All right. So what I want to do real quick is I want to give you seven traits, seven traits of what I believe that an intercessor, characteristics, qualities, whatever word you want to use, that an intercessor needs to be effective in priesthood. 
Okay, so if they don't have this, if we don't have this, we're probably not going to be as effective as God wants us to be. Okay, so I'm just going to give you some quick hitters. There's verses that are attached to all of them. You can write them down. I'm not really going to go through them. I'm just going to make some points to you. Okay, if you're with me, say, oh, yeah. All right. The first trait that I believe is in the heart of every true intercessor is this is number one. We got to be unselfish. We got to be unselfish. Far too often, man, when we go to pray, we get caught up and we just pray for ourselves. Don't shout me down. Never happened to you, has it? You've never went in the prayer closet and got tunnel vision and left whatever amount of time later and, and realized that, man, I only ask God to help me and to give me what I want. You've never done that, have you? Only me. Okay. Listen, I believe the antidote for selfishness in the body of Christ is we need to have this thing that Jesus had. It's called compassion. Okay? Listen, we have to care for others enough that we are willing to lay down our prayer list so that we can actually lift up the cares and the needs and the burdens of others. Right? So when you look at the Gospels, it it blows my mind. Every miracle that Jesus ever performed, he was doing exactly what we're talking about here. If there's ever been a person that was selfless, it's Jesus. Right? If you think about it, if it was the, uh, the funeral with the widow at Nain, Okay, and obviously Jesus stopped the funeral procession. What did he do? In that moment, this woman's son is dead in a casket, and he stood in between her and God for a miracle. He interceded, right? So think about when he sat there and looked at the multitude, and he realized that they were weary, they were hungry. And here's this little boy with some fish, right, and some loaves of bread. What did he do? He, yes, he broke bread. Yes, he gave thanks. But he stood in the gap between God and a real problem, and he interceded, and the miracle came. Like you can go, if it's Jairus' daughter, like literally go down the list, demons getting cast out, blind people, lame people, like go down the list. Every person that he encountered where a miracle happened, he interceded. Why? Because that's what a high priest does. Right? And to understand that if you and I are going to have the heart of Jesus, then we need to do what a priest does. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. The second trait is very similar to the first. In fact, they are, they are uh, seriously connected. Okay? I don't think you can pull them apart. The second one is this, is you got to be willing. you got to be willing. Now, part of this is, yes, you got to be willing to carry other people's burdens. But what I want us to grab a hold of today is this, is if we're really going to intercede, if we're really going to stand in the gap, then we need to be willing to feel what God feels. And we need to be willing to carry the burden that he feels. In other words, we need to carry the burden of the Lord. And here's my personal experience, is that there's times where I've prayed, and while I'm praying, Basically, God will drop something or someone on my heart, and I know it's time to intercede. It's time to stand in the gap. There's typically a different authority that comes in prayer in that moment. And I begin to pray, basically, for this person. I pray to God for their behalf, for God to intervene. But I want you to know, the more you press into this thing, God will start doing things outside the prayer clause. And what I mean by that is he'll wake you up at ungodly hours in the middle of the night and say, it's time to pray. And you're hoping you had a cup of coffee right? And he says, I want you to pray about this, right? Or he'll wake you up earlier than normal and he'll keep you there a little longer. Say, we got to pray for this. Like, like we have to understand that just because we're asleep, God's not, <laughs> right? Like God still knows what's going on in the world in real people's lives. Am I making sense? 
So, so listen, there's a, a story that I love. It's about a guy named Victor Plymeyer. Victor Plymeyer was a missionary in Tibet. And uh, I can't go into all the details, but, but him and two of his missionary friends, right? They were Tibetans, uh, but, but they were believers. They were standing in front of the Dalai Lama, and they were about to get killed for preaching the gospel. And, and here they are in Tibet. God woke up a woman in Washington State, right? And said, basically begin to pray. She said, Lord, who am I praying about? God said, you need to pray for Victor Plymeyer, that missionary that came to your church years ago. And she, God gave her a picture of what was happening. And she actually saw the very room that he was in, saw him stand for the Dalai Lama, began to intercede for hours. And God supernaturally, the guy just, God changed his heart and he released him. So literally, uh, I think it was about a year later, uh, he got a letter from this woman and she drew a picture of what she saw. And she actually drew their clothes and all that. And the woman basically, the same color pants, same color shirt, everything they had on. She saw it, and God interceded, and God spared their life. And so listen, when God wakes you up, it may not be something that dramatic, but it may be for your grandma, it may be for your brother, maybe your sister, it may be for your friend. Listen, you don't need to question God in that moment. You just need to pray because he's trying to move through somebody. Amen? Here's the third trait. Is we got to be full of faith. got to be full of faith. And I'm not talking about some fake mess. I'm just simply saying this, man. What's the point for us to pray if we don't believe? <laughs> Why intercede? Why stand in the gap if we don't believe our God hears us and God moves when we pray, if we pray according to his word? And so I just think this. There's this understanding, yes, that we can't change anyone. We can't change anything. But guess what? We pray because we know God can. And that's why we pray. That's where our faith is at. So that's why we continue to go. If I see it or don't see it, it doesn't really matter. God, I'm trusting you to move. Amen? Here's the fourth trait. In the heart of every true intercessor, we need to love mercy. We need to love mercy. And why do I say that? I say that because God will ask you, trust me, trust me, trust me. Trust me. It's happened to me this week. Trust me. God will ask you to pray for people that you don't even like. Okay? He'll ask you to pray for people you don't agree with. Morally, he will ask you to pray. And, and, I, and I think there, you know, it's so funny. Um, when I think about that we have to be people of mercy, my mind goes automatically to James and John where, where they were hanging out with Jesus and they bumped into some, to some Samaritans and they tried to convince Jesus to call down fire from heaven. Get them, God. Right? And, uh, and did Jesus do it? No. He, he rebuked them. And, and here's why he rebuked them. Because he basically said, look, you don't have my heart and you've misjudged the situation. And I have learned through the years that I've had to humble myself before the Lord because I've misjudged people and I've misjudged situations. Right? And so, so I think if we're going to really pray, if we're going to be intercessors, if we're willing to stand in the gap, no matter, you know, it's God, no matter who's on the other side, then we got to understand that my mercy triumphs over judgment. And we got to understand that love covers a multitude of sin. If he saved us, he can save them or whoever the person is, situation. We got to be okay with it. We can't, we can't pray what we want to see happen. We got to pray what he wants to see happen. Amen? Here's the fifth trait true intercessors, I believe they're bold they got to be bold. In other words, if we're going to come before the throne of grace, we got to come boldly, as the Word says. Right? If we're going to really contend for others, we got to get it. Okay? So everybody look at me, please, because I realize there's people from a lot of different churches and church history, and I realize we've been told a lot of things. It's something that I've seen repeatedly over the years as people who uh, express their unworthiness basically to pray. And I just want you to know if, if you have feelings that you're unworthy 
If those things are dominating your mind, you'll never pray with confidence. So hear what I'm about to say from the Word of God. And it's this, is that you and I got to remember that the blood of Jesus has not only given us access to the throne, it's that blood that makes us worthy to stand before the throne. Okay? So we're not there in our own righteousness. We're there because Jesus has done what Jesus does, and we can. Amen? So to understand that when God looks at us, according to the Bible, uh, he sees Jesus' righteousness. Therefore, he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21, okay? All right, so, so at the same time, once again, not only are we worthy to stand there, but we have to understand when we stand there, there's an action that needs to take place. And that action means this, is that you and I need to begin to pray in the authority that we have through the name of Jesus, right? Not to make our request, but to use the authority we have to declare God's truth into whatever situation we're at. That's how we wield the sword, right? It's not we go in there and we beg and we plead and we, you know, there's, there's asking. But you have to understand, it's like this, man, he wants to move, right? He's looking, it says in the word, for somebody to move. He didn't say, I'm looking for someone to come grovel. He said, I'm looking for somebody to have faith to believe and to speak my word so I can have access to the situation. Is that what it says? Yes, okay. So understand that when you do that, you're going to encounter opposition, they're, they're, this battle we're in is, is not against flesh and blood. It is against the kingdom of darkness. But we've got to recognize that the kingdom that's in us is greater. Amen? Let me give you the sixth trait. Is we've got to have perseverance. And what do I mean by that? It is, is if God puts something or someone on your heart, then that means we keep praying until something happens. Right? And, and even when we start seeing, everybody please listen to me. Even when you start seeing things turn, that doesn't mean you stop praying. You stop praying when the, when the burden lifts, <laughs> when you're released. That's when you stop praying, okay? And, and so, you know, I think about this. I think about Daniel. He prayed. It took 21 days for the answer to come, not because God didn't want to answer it. The Bible even says that his answer was there the first day, but it took 21 days because the archangel Michael was fighting in the spirit realm, the prince of Persia. There was spiritual warfare going on, and he had to basically handle some stuff before he could deliver the answer. Now, everybody look at me, please. That's not some cute Bible story. That was a glimpse into how it really happens. He was showing us how it happens. And so you and I, man, like how many times have we went and prayed? We prayed one day, two days, three days, and then we go, ha, it's not working, and we quit. And in my mind, I go, man, how often have we been on the verge of a breakthrough and we quit? Like, what would happen if we kept pressing in until an answer came? Like, personally, all I know is this. Is there's times where I've been in the old, my own prayer closet, and I felt like I've chased rabbits for an hour and God's nowhere around? Y'all have never been there, have you? I was there this morning. And I'm like, Lord, right? Like, where are you at? Right? And, and there's been times in my life where I've went, you know what? I've been here an hour. I got things to do and I've left. And then there's been other times where I said, you know what? I got a little more time. Why don't I wait? And 15 minutes later, he shows up. He starts talking. Right? And so just compare the two. Am I making any sense? So too, too often we, we, we are... We are a microwave generation. If it don't come quick, we're not interested. That's not how you get close to the king. Amen? Here's the last trait I want to give you, the seventh trait. I think that the heart of every true intercessor needs this, is we need to have a heart of reliance. Listen, if you're anything like me, when, when God speaks, a lot of times you, you, you're like, okay, 
that's the person I need to pray for. That's the situation I need to pray for. But I don't know what to pray. Anybody ever been there? I don't know what to pray. And, uh, but I know I'm supposed to. And so I think it's, it's important for us to understand that same blood that gave us access to that moment. Guess what? There's also this guy called the Holy Spirit, right, that enables us and empowers us to pray what we need to pray. So we need to rely on him. And so, in other words, we don't need to rely on our own thoughts and our own whatever. Like, like we need to lean into God and go, God, what do you want to pray through me today? See, the Bible says this in Romans 8, 26. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And so there's this thing in the prayer closet when you lock in and you begin to intercede, that there's times where, where in your own understanding God's word, you know what I'm saying, you just, man, you're, you're like wielding the sword so beautifully. Words are flying. You're praying eloquently. Like, you know that it's the anointing of God pushing your prayers. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then there's those times for us that, that once again, I know the room is uh, maybe divided in this, but there's that side where, where us that have been baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, that's what that verse is talking about. That when we don't know what to pray, that we pray in the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, that when we do so, we pray the perfect will of God. Amen? So we need to rely on Him. All right, let's land this. I'm going to go all the way back to Ezekiel chapter 22. I want to close out really this series, but today with this verse. We, we stopped short earlier. Let's read it all the way. I look for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I search for someone to stand in the gap in the wall. So I wouldn't have to destroy the land. Y'all get that? God's like, man, he's, he's, a, he's a God of holiness. He's righteous. Because who he is, he has to judge sin. Y'all realize that? Okay, nod your head if you, like, are you with me? Y'all realize that, right? So, like, our, our judicial system, right, is based off the kingdom of God. I'm not saying it always, but there's a core. That's where we got the idea, right? There's judgment for sin. And what he's saying here is, man, is like, the sin is stacked up so much, I have to judge it, but I really don't want to. So, right, so I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found no one. See, that's the side that God has chosen to partner with man to bring his will about in the earth. Do I understand it? No. Do I think he's crazy for trusting us? Yes. Okay? But the bottom line is, is the history of mankind, if we like it or not, hinges upon the church being willing to pray. Amen? So, so my simple prayer as we land this is, God, let that not be so in our day. Like, help us be like Aaron that we ran and we, we run quickly and stand between the living and the dead. Because, see, I have this crazy idea in my mind that simply says this. Like, y'all, y'all grab a hold of this. Like, have you ever stopped and thought about who else is praying for my spouse? Like, have you ever thought about that? Who else is praying for my spouse today? Who else is praying for my kids today? If I don't, who will? Who else is praying for our church? Who else is praying for our region? Right? Am I making sense? So, so often we have this mindset that we think somebody's going to come bail us out. We are priests that have a God-given responsibility to stand in the gap and pray. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.